This is Agents Influence Podcast. When I first arrived in the United States, I was afraid. I didn't think that the, uh, the wind that I was breathing wasn't mine. You know, the language barrier, new people, a new country. It's again, I see the, uh, that when you come into a new country, you know, your desire to succeed, it's engraving in every one of us. I'm Jason Cass, and we're going to help you think differently, change your agency, change your finances, change your family, and in the end, we're going to change an industry. Let's go. All right, all right, all right, you loyal listeners, welcome to another episode of Agents Influence, and that's the one we're going to go with. You notice I kind of stuttered there because this is not me. This is me. I mean, this is really me talking, and this is the podcast, but this podcast was inspired and brought to us by Mr. Eric Garcia. Now, you guys know him. He down there from that place, down there, NOLA. I call it the down under, and he says, no, Jason, that's Australia, bro. We're still Mm -hmm. in the same country. That's right. But to the rest of the world is still kind of down under. We love it there. We're going there for brain share. He came to me and he said, Cass, I want to do this podcast and here's what it is. And I said, dude, let's do it. And here we are. Loyal listeners right now, it is May 13th at 10.50 a.m. in the morning. I'm going to turn it over to Mr. Eric Garcia. Tell me what you got planned, man. What was in your brain when you called and wanted to do this? Yeah, what's happening, y'all? Eric Garcia, certified financial planner. I am the one of the co-hosts of the Stuff About Money podcast. This is going to be a collaboration, obviously, with uh, with Jason and I. So here's the thing. We're at BrainShare Kansas City, and I love meeting new agents, and I love particularly meeting diverse agents. I think our industry, and most people would agree, is old and white, and anytime I'm able to meet uh, agent that serves the ethnic marketplace well and is ethnic themselves. It just it gets me excited. Y'all know my background. My background is is Cuban. Both of my parents are Cuban. We serve an ethnic marketplace. Um, ethnic marketplaces are underserved. So immediately I introduce yeah. myself to Ebens Gene. Ebens is one of our guests, and he is from Haiti. Um, came to this country when he was 12. Now, what, what y'all might not know is there's a there's a there's a deep connection between Haiti and New Orleans. Not, we're not <laughs> going to go into the history of it. So, we got to talking. We hit it off, and in in talking to him, that his story is kind of my family story. My dad came to this country from a Caribbean island, not speaking the language, and ended up in the insurance industry. So I, I went to Jason and said, Jason, we got to get these two guys on a podcast telling us their stories about coming to this country, mm-hmm. not speaking the language, mm-hmm. and talking about how they fell into the insurance industry. And mm-hmm. we got, these two guys are two generations apart. It'd be just a, a good time to, to hear them swap stories. So here we are. Yep. Two gentlemen that left voluntarily, or maybe not, probably not voluntarily, the Caribbean while I'm begging to go back every time we have vacation. So I tell you what, thank you very much. Uh, Eric, that is a good intro, and I'm glad it's someone like you who has a big heart, but you have a big heart because you have a road of understanding. I want to introduce, as he has, also Mr. Felix Garcia, because this guy has been a huge... um, 
blessing in my life over the last three months. Didn't really know him other than Eric talking about him all the time and seeing him and his dad sit around and, and have some wine every once in a while. Um, but, but Felix, I am, I am grateful to, to... What? We had rum. Rum. What did I say? Wine? Yes, we do. You said wine. We yeah, do rum, man. You don't have that down under. And cigars. Oh. <laughs> rum and cigars. Get it right, Cass. It is my fault. I mean, you go to the Caribbean, man. They're not drinking a lot of wine, Cass. Come on, buddy. You've been there. Let's act like you've been to the game. Um, Felix, welcome, buddy. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. We're excited to have you. Thank you. All right. So, um, I, I, I want to start with just a question for, for each of you. I just want to hear your story about coming to America, right? Both of you came when you were teenagers or even as you were almost a teenager, mm-hmm. didn't speak a lick of English and ended up in this country. So share, share with us and, and Ebens, you can go first, like maybe uh, share with us a story, like what was maybe the biggest obstacle of, of coming to America at that age and just trying to figure things out. Uh, at at uh, well, th- thank you for uh, <laughs> letting me be a guest on the podcast, man. Look, um, I had a great conversation with you, Eric, Jason. I um, mean, look. Um, but anyway, man. Um, when I first came to this country, it it always a dream. Like back home, back in the island in Haiti, man. Coming to America always a it's a dream of every kid, man. Because when you think about America, man, you're thinking about um, it's the land of the opportunity. Um, another thing that we joke around too is that people think that m- uh, money grow in tree. Like, like when you come to America, the you see a, a tree of money just falling in the ground. So that's how we back home. That's how we think about America. So coming coming here, man, as a as a teenager, man, was it, it was it was great. Um, in the beginning. Uh, I wasn't, I didn't know the language when I got here, man. And what got me was the temperature. Cause I'm, I'm from a, 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 a hot place. The temperature. Yeah, the temperature, man. Not, not even the language. The language was the second thing, but like, um, it's adapting to the, to the, to the temperature, man. Like when I got here, it was January and it was cold and I didn't have a jacket. I had a t-shirt and a jean and uh, because we flew out of JFK and it was cold. It was freezing, man. So at that time I was like, man, how people, how people live like this, man? Like, I was like, I can't, I can't live like this. I'm a young, a young kid. I was like, how am I going to live like this? Um, So that was one of the obstacles for me. The language came the next thing. Um, it was it was different, man. It was different, like learn the trying to learn the language. Um, they understand what people were saying. Uh, everything was new, man. Everything was new because now did you have family in the states? Like like how did yeah, you how did you that leave was my Haiti? Question. Actually, my so it started with my grandpa, uh, my grandpa and my mom's side. He came into the United States uh, in the nineteen eighties. Then from there, he brought he brought my mom and my uncle and my aunt over. Uh, early nineties. So when my mom left, my mom left when I was, when I was like three years old, my mom left, came to this country. So, um, so basically I kind of grew up in a way, grew up without no (laughs) mom being around at, at that three years old. Um, then my mom and my dad, they split up. 
displayed up. They got divorced, displayed up. Then from mm-hmm. there, it took my mom 11 from 94 to 2003. So nine years. Is it nine years? Close, almost like close to 10 years to, for, us to, for her to bring us here in the United States. Um, it, it was a struggle. It wasn't, it's not easy, man. Uh, all the process, as Felix know, um, like the, the paperwork, um, it, it was not easy, man. So my mom actually brought us here. So I have family, all my sibling, uh, my mom and my dad, they in the, uh, in the state. And your mom didn't tell you it's cold? She didn't say evens, bring a jacket? Man, I don't know if it was the excitement that she she had for us to come to this country, man. Like, she didn't want us, man. She did not want us. So, uh, <laughs> I didn't have no jacket, man. So, that was that was one of the things for me. That's funny, the temperature. Wow. Yeah, if, if there's anything that, that any of you interact with, anybody from the South. And, and New Orleans, we joke, one of the names for New Orleans is the northernmost Caribbean port because culture, I've food, temperature, yeah. it's very Caribbean. Man, and if the temperature drops below, like, 72 and we don't have a jacket, we're cold. Absolutely. I can see that. I can see that. So, Felix, same question for you. What was, you know, what was the, the, maybe the biggest challenge coming to, um, to America? Well, let me first begin by, by telling you that um, I was a very happy uh, kid in Cuba. Uh, unfortunately, I, I never had a father. I didn't grow up with a father. And uh, my mother was too young and inexperienced to take care of me. I had a grandfather who really loved me and cared for me, and he made sure that before he passed, uh, he uh, entrusted um, me to a family that um, that he used to work for, who were very well off. And uh, although I was born in a poor home, I was raised like a uh, like a rich kid because his family took care of me. Wow. Um, left Cuba. Uh, when I was 15 years old, with a man who uh, used to travel a lot. Uh, Every year he would spend six months out of the year in Cuba and six months out of the year uh, traveling abroad. And he was at that uh, that time about my age now, about 70, 75. And uh, he always brought a young man with him to carry his bags because he, he, he was old. And on the last trip, he asked me if I wanted to leave Cuba, and I said yes. So, so what, what, real quick context, what year was that? That was uh, 1963 when I left Cuba. I was 15 years old. Hmm. We, we went to Spain, uh, lived in Barcelona, Spain, until March 1964. Uh, from there, we got our visa. Um, then we uh, came directly to New Orleans. Uh, we traveled by boat. And... Um, got to New York and eventually ended up here in New Orleans because he had a sister who lived here in New Orleans. A year later, after our arrival in New Orleans, uh, he he died, he passed away, and I was left all alone with no family. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to stay at um, with, uh, the, with his sister, but uh, I had to work because they were also Cuban refugees. All right. So I started working. Um, let me back up a little bit. I, when I first came in, I started, I started uh, to go to school, went to high school. 
But like I said, a year later, I have to quit because I had to work. But one of the times that I was, um, you know, kids used to make fun of me because I, uh, I couldn't speak English at all. I was, hmm. uh, I mean, it, it was, and, and when I opened my mouth, uh, they realized that I was a foreign. So I wasn't treated very well, you know, they would make fun of me. So one day traveling home after school, I always like to sit in the back of the bus because I don't like to have anybody behind me. That's been from from very young age. So I'm in the back of the bus and uh, there are some kids making fun of me. And I just got up, looked at them and I said, you see me now? One day I pick two languages, you only one. Just like that. <laughs> How do I say anything? And sure enough, and uh, my kids uh, laugh every time I tell that story. <laughs> but anyway, it was um, when I first arrived in the United States, um, I was afraid. I was, um, I, I didn't think that the, that the, 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 wind, that I, the, uh, the wind that I was breathing wasn't mine, that I was uh, in, you know, the language barrier new people, a new country. I didn't feel right about walking in the street because I just felt like uh, like, I was a, like I was a foreigner. I didn't, believe, I didn't belong here. And those were my feelings at the very beginning when I first thought it, when I first came here. Ebens, were those, were those common <clears throat> feelings that you had as well? Yeah, especially when he said, when, when Felix say, like people making fun of you because you don't speak the language. Um, I had that too, man. Like back in school, I was shy. I didn't want to, I, w- I didn't want to talk because people like, because you don't, because the, the language is not for you. So you have a, you have a thick accent. So people make fun of you. So that one, I could, I could definitely relate, man. I could definitely relate. And, um, and also to is the, is adapt, adapting to the new culture. So I could relate, like mm. not understand the language. Um, feel like I'm not, I don't belong there because the, I'm not from here, so uh, so I could relate to what Felix is saying. And um, so, so for both ahead. of you, how long did it take to kind of feel like, all right, I belong here? Like this, like this is, I'm good. I'm 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 comfortable. Um, when I arrived in the United States in the audience, it was in the middle of the um, the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, I had uh, I had several experiences, you know, with people uh, being um, prejudiced against me. And one particular situation was, um, uh, now I think I'm about 18 years old, uh, and I was already getting uh, acclimated to the, to the United States. You know, I started losing all my, my fears and all that, started meeting people. So I started feeling more comfortable about being around. Uh, but at one time I, I, I didn't have a car and, um, I had a friend who was selling me an automobile. I remember correctly. I mean, uh, specifically was a Cutler Supreme and he was asking $600. Now $600 back in those days was a lot of money. It was with really uh, a lot of money. So I went to the bank, uh, to ask for a loan. And although I had my checking account and my savings account, they denied the loan. So I went back to the bank and I said, I want to talk to one of the officers. Now here I'm 18 years old, 
I'm meeting with a man who is in his 50s. You know, I go in and I ask the question, why didn't I get the loan? He said, um, you foreigners think mm. that you're going to come to this country to make demand. So I immediately looked at him and he said, uh, excuse me, are you an American Indian? So why are you asking that? I said, because if you're not an American Indian, you are foreigner just like I am. Thank you. Take your money and keep it. And I just walked out. And I, I moved my account from there. And but those, uh, you know, it, it, at the beginning, it really, it really uh, hit me hard. But then I, I, I just say this guy is ignorant. Mm. And so I. But those are the things that um, that I went through, you know, growing in this country at that age. So, so he, oh, hold on. Go ahead, Jason. Uh, 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 first of all, I want you to know, Evans, that. The government of America actually thinks that money grows on trees too. I, I just want you to know that they they think that as well. Okay, it does. Um, very important. I had to make that note. One thing I want to ask, and this is what I can't wrap my brain around. Okay, um, it, it just being it just being it doesn't matter being white or anybody. Just coming from another place, coming in and saying that you can't speak the language. I don't understand that. My, I can't wrap my head around the fact that you got off the bus, Ebans, and you're like, "Shit, it's cold," but you said it in your language, and <laughs> then, and then like you're gotta go buy a sandwich, right? Like, how do you? I mean, how how are you going to school and listening to what they're trying to teach you? I, I don't. You, I know that's funny, but I, I can't. I can't wrap my head around it. It's hard to think when you're cold. <laughs> yeah, it is very hard to think when you're cold. But I mean, uh, Felix or Ebens, one of I mean, how how, did, how how was that first day of school when you don't know what anybody's saying? Well, I, I tell you a couple of stories. I one time I went to uh, this um, uh, sandwich shop, and I wanted to have a shrimp a shrimp sandwich. I couldn't say shrimp; I say a spring sandwich. And they looked at me funny. What? I said a spring sandwich. <laughs> Finally, I have to just point to what I was to what I wanted it, and all the time I wanted a ham sandwich, and I offered a ham sandwich. Okay, <laughs> I can see that. I can see Eben. I mean, same things with you. I mean, how did you do that, man? First, first day of school, man. I didn't, I didn't understand anything. Everything was like it, it, it didn't make no sense, man. Like I remember, um, <laughs> my mom actually dropped us like to by the bus stop. And all she told me is that when anybody, if anybody asks you a question, tell them that you don't speak English. And I couldn't even say, I couldn't even say that. Like, I couldn't even, she said, tell them you don't speak English. <laughs> and when I got to school, man, I was lost now because uh, everybody I was, that was on the bus, uh, the school bus, they speak English. Uh, so when I got, when I got to school, man, I had to point at stuff. No. Um, so, but yeah, the first day of school, yeah, first day of school, man, I, I didn't quite understand anything. Like I didn't understand it, uh, a damn thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was talking to this lady in Cuba. She actually teaches English uh, to Cubans, um, when I was in Cuba and she said that you can teach them over and over, but the best way to teach them is to use the hands. Right. Like if you do this, they all know that you're flying back to America. If you're watching YouTube, you get to see this, but like a plane going off with your hand. And so rather than me trying to explain it, I could just I could go like that. And they're like, oh, OK, I know exactly. And she said that that's a way that they teach them in Cuba 
the English is, is the English. Teach them English. Sign language. language. Sign language. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to tell you, I mean, Cuban, Cubans, it's a Latin culture. And, and I would imagine even it's probably similar in Haiti. You you want to you wanna really um, uh, quiet a Cuban, tie their hands behind their back. They cannot yeah. speak if they don't have hands. <laughs> That's actually kind of funny. That's actually kind of funny. That's very true. That's very true. And it sounds like, Evans, that was similar with you. I mean, you were pulling yeah. things like, hey, you know, I just can't imagine sitting in math class. I didn't understand math. I got an F in math and I understood what she was saying. Okay. You guys are getting good grades in the damn thing and you can't even understand her. So good, good for you. I just think that's interesting. And then the last thing I want to ask you real quick, uh, it goes back to the similar thing. I'm trying to get your guys' feelings because that's, what's really hard for, for Jason, who was born in Phoenix, Arizona, um, to, to understand is what was your thoughts when you got that first paycheck? You got that first paycheck, and obviously it's the dinero is worth, or the, the, the dinero, the U.S. dollar is worth more than, you know, better other currencies. So here you go, you work 40 hours and you get this $300 check, or Felix, it was back in the 80s, it was probably $200, and that was that was huge money. 60. How much? Back in the 60s. Oh, 60, but I'm talking about in America. Oh, okay. We're in no, America. I was... I was I was already in America in the 60s, 64. Okay, that's right, because you went over to Barcelona and then, yeah, okay, my fault, my fault, right. my fault. Felix, for always, I've always thought that you came in the 80s, and I don't know why. I just always think, because there was a big, um, Castro let, him, let uh, a lot of people the Maria, come over. The Mariel boat lift yeah. was in the 80s. He made yeah. a deal with like Carter or something like that, President Carter or ex-president. Mm -hmm. post yeah. yeah, and then they let him come no, through. Uh, it was John F. Kennedy, the president, when I left. Right. And there was a big scare, which is interesting, that Castro was going to do nothing but open the prison system and allow a lot of those people to come to America. And actually, I heard that that happened a little bit, but the Cubans tell me that didn't happen as much. That was American propaganda. Well, that was on the, that happened on the Maria lift when there's uh, – <clears throat> and that would happen in the 80s, yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, but, but, but you got to think, prisoners in Cuba are not like – prisoners in new orleans right. like you go to jail in cuba because you bought you bought a cow on the black market or yeah had u.s dollars good point good right point. so like it's also a good point well, because you spoke bad about the government mm -hmm. you know you didn't feel uh, you don't agree with the government and people will go to jail for that yeah, yeah. And then, and so, so that was, that was important to me though. It's like, you come here, you want the land of opportunity and then Ebens, you start working and you're like, wow, I really am now starting to make the American money and I can actually start to buy things. I mean, what was that feeling at the initial part of, Hey, I'm going to go look for my own place. Are you still living with your mom? I mean, what were you doing at that very beginning part? Uh, at the very beginning part, my first job was at McDonald's. Okay. And um, when I was about four, 14, 14, uh, I got my first job. And I remember my first my first paycheck, man. My first paycheck that I ever got, it was about $150, $150, man. And I went with that money. I saved some. I went and bought a phone. <laughs> and it, 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 was, it was the best, best feeling, man. <laughs> As a kid, man, look, I could, I could work and make my, and make my yes. own money. Um, so it was the best feeling for me, because um, back home, it's it's a little bit different. Because as a young age back home, like you have to, you have to work. You have that work ethic already. Um, most kids are working from <laughs> six to seven years old or even younger. Like you already have that work ethic. So I understand that work ethic at an early age back home. 
Um, and when I came here, man, like it, it was, it was no brainer for me. Cause I know, I, I know I have to, I have to work. No, I have to work. So mm-hmm. and I'm one of the thing, one other thing, and I want to turn this over to you, Eric. Um, I hear Eric you talk about, and I think it's because of your background. And community is so important to you. I also think it's New Orleans. You guys are just different cats down there. But when I talk to Ebens and I talk to him about his agency, and I talk to him uh, on the other podcast, loyal listeners, I have uh, another podcast we did probably about a month, month and a half ago from when you're listening to this, and it, I remember you told me Ebens your your commitment is to your community. That's what's huge for your agency, you know, and I, and I hear that and I, and I think that's a breath of fresh air. That's something that Americans, um, who, um, are spoiled in their ways. It's so weird because I'm not here to talk bad about being a white person, but we also have our very, very limited view of the world. Um, I just think it's interesting how you guys are so community involved. What do you think about that, Eric? Do you think that that's New Orleans? Do you think that's you and your background, ethnic no, background? No, no, no. So, so this, this is totally a cultural thing. You got to understand, America is a very, we're very independent. This is not right, wrong, or indifferent. That's the American right. is very independent, right? If you if you look at how we live, how we work, uh, we have yards, we have fences. You, you go to Cuba, you go to Haiti, you go to a lot of other countries around the world, particularly your third world countries or your underdeveloped countries, dude, if you don't have community, you don't survive. Help. It is about the community. It is, it is your, 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 you are plugged in. It, it's that, that it takes a village. That's a very cultural thing. That's not a, a liberal or conservative or social or, 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 you know, um, commentary. It's just, that's just reality. Like extended family is I grew up living, my grandparents lived across the street, and then when my grandfather passed away, my grandmother moved in. And like, that's very common. So community, family, man, we have people over for, for Christmas. Like, I call them cousins. I don't even know if we're related, right? They're related by, you know. So I think it's a very cultural thing that in America, we look at, very th- we look at things independently. It's me-centric. In most other countries, it's us-centric. Mm-hmm. I think that's a struggle we're going through right ma- now with America. It's one of the reasons why we don't want to buy- be part of the collective world, because that would make us to have to make decisions with other people, as opposed to Americans, we want to be very independent. Not saying one's right or wrong. Anybody loyal listeners listening, you disagree with me? Who cares? It's my show. Shut up. There was something, Felix, that you said. You said, Felix, something when he was talking. I said that we call everybody primos. Primos. Primo is cousin. Primos. What does that mean? First, best, whatever. Primo is cousin. 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 Oh, primos is cousin. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Every, everyone's family. Yes. Everyone's related. So I think that's yeah. a, it's it's incredibly e- even cold. our friends. You know, we call them primo. Yeah. Okay. And, and for some reason in America we politicize everything, and I kind of have like a foot in both worlds, right? You know, like the um, born to immigrant parents but grew up in America, so I I, I kind of have like two perspectives. Um, and we like to, especially now, we like to politic. Everything is has a political edge to it, and it's mm-hmm. it's it's not political, right? Like, you you can believe in in community and this idea. It takes a village, and not be you know a, a liberal progressive, right? It, it's just everything has become everything is so political in mm-hmm. in this country. Yeah, it's, a very, it's very much. So, Jason, you asked the question about paychecks. So I, w- I want to kind of skip ahead here. See, I Both it was you, perfect. Yeah, it's fantastic. So let's let's talk about let's talk about investing for your retirement. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, bo- both of you in 
listeners, if you if you know immigrant uh, families, there's something about immigrants that have. Jason, you talked about work ethic, and Evans, you talked about work ethic. Man, you look around you. There are so many successful immigrants. The work ethic is just—it blows me away. Um, so you both came here, worked through some, um, you know, worked through uh, a lot of obstacles, a lot of people. You probably had to work a little bit harder to be successful than I had to work to be successful That's for true. various reasons. True. You had you had to overcome things that I didn't have to, that the majority of these listeners didn't have to overcome. And y'all found yourselves in the insurance industry. So tell us a little bit, how did you end up in this space? And you talk about money growing on trees. If there's an industry, Jason, you talk about insurance industry being you know, the best industry that God ever created. That's right. This is an industry where if you do things right, money does kind of grow on trees. You're it's damn hard, right about you know, that. You can make good money. How did y'all end up in this industry? Well, Evans, you can go first. Yeah, I was going to let the man go first, Garcia. I was going to let Felix go first because he's been a, he's an OG, so he's been in the game longer than, than I do, man. Let, let him go first. I'll let him go first on this All one. All right. Are you ready to transform the way your business communicates? Look no further than Lightspeed Voice, the ultimate solution for insurance agencies seeking a seamless communication. I've used them for over eight years. I'm telling you, what I'm reading is the truth. Picture this, crystal clear calls, advanced features, unparalleled, flexible, tailored, just for you. That's Lightspeed Voice. Tired of drop calls and outdated systems? Lightspeed Voice has your back. Say goodbye to communication hiccups and hello to a new era of efficiency. I love that. Boost productivity with features like call recording, voice to email, and effortless call transfers. Work from the office, from home, or on the go. Lightspeed Voice keeps you connected wherever your business takes you. Don't worry about the transition. Our dedicated support and onboarding teams will guide you every step of the way. Make the switch to Lightspeed and join the ranks of satisfied insurance agency owners, like me, experiencing the power of seamless communication. Ready to elevate your agency? Visit lightspeedvoice.com or call 877.97-VOICE to schedule your free demo. Lightspeed Voice, we're more than just talk. Cast approved. All right, Felix. Okay, there's a story about this guy who was told, hey, man, you got to go to the United States because money is everywhere on the streets. So he gets off the boat and is walking and sees a $100 bill on the floor, kicks and he says, well, I pick it up, there's more. <laughs> so he went on, he didn't pick up the $100 bill. Anyway, when I first came, uh, I inherited, um, uh, now I'm 16 years old, I inherited a bicycle from a, from a guy that I used to go to school with before who had a, um, a paper route. And um, I used to get up in the morning, uh, four o'clock in the morning to this, uh, deliver papers. I don't remember how much I was making at the time. Then uh, during the day, I had another job. I was a courier bringing documents from office to office um, because at the time there was no, there was no, um, there was no way. I mean, everything had to go. Uh, you had to walk uh, to the office and bring those paperwork. And then at night, I had another job, march, marking merchandise 
at a store called DH Homes, which used to be a, a fine store. Like a department store. And then store. It, was, um, it was taken over by, I think, um, Macy's or something like that. Dillard's. Dealers. It was taken over by dealers. And uh, so I had three jobs. And I've always been, uh, I, I, always, I, I always said on Eric knows that uh, I used to tell my kids, if you make $5 today, spend three and save two for tomorrow. Because that's what I used to do. I used to save money. But anyway, um, I ended up in the insurance business because I only lasted at least no more than three years in a job. If I was there and I didn't see that I could not move up for whatever reason it may be, and I would look around and say, well, this guy, he would have to quit or he will have to die in order for me to, to, to advance. So I didn't, see, I didn't see the way, so I kept changing, kept changing jobs. And in 1977, I entered into the insurance business. I quit a job that it was paying very well. I was making uh, $375 a week working as a manager in a supermarket. And, um, and I quit that to, go to, to, to come to the insurance business making $250 a week plus commission. And my first year in the business, I was the number five rookie in the southern region. Wow. Doesn't okay. surprise me. I, I, even, I even went to one of the conventions. I made one of the conventions. Okay. And from there on, my, you know, I started uh, doing better and better. But then in 1980, I was limited to life insurance only with a company that I was with. So a friend, uh, a friend of mine who had been working with me at the same company moved and he moved to, um, to another company who was a lot smaller than the one that I was working for. So I, I saw that he was being able to sell property and casualty and every other products. So I decided to come with this company and I was with this company for up until last year in June, 40 years with, uh, with a company. And, uh, I, I did very well. I did very well in the insurance business. It was my niche. It was, uh, because I wanted it to be independent. I didn't want to have anybody to tell me what to do. I didn't want to have anybody to tell me, I'm going to pay you this. This is what you're worth. And when I went to work for the, for the supermarket, they told me, we're going to pay you $2.80 an hour. And what I wanted to tell this man was, who are you to tell me what I'm worth? I'm worth more than two eighty. But if I would have told him that, I would have never gotten the job. Okay, so I had to just take it and eat it. But that's how I always felt. I wanted to be independent. Tell, um, tell, it, tell the story real quick about your first paycheck when you when you started selling property and casualty insurance. And then after three years with the other company, <laughs> I had to give up everything and move into a new company again, starting all over again. And when I got my first property and casualty check, it was, uh, I think it was $45. And I really got angry and I walked into the man's office. This man was, I mean, he was a gentleman. He was a a great manager, and I stood in front of him, and I took the check, and I threw it at him. I said, who do you, th- I mean, do you think I can feed a family with the $45? <laughs> and thinking back now, if I would have been him, I would, I would have told me, just get the heck out of my office. Don't ever come back. He, I would have fired the guy. Mm-hmm. 
because I was disrespectful to this man who was a gentleman. He sat me down and, uh, and he talked to me and he said, you know, it takes time. You know, it's, um, it's like a field you have to plant first and then later on you would recover. You will recover the, uh, the benefit from what you do. Uh, now that I'm older, if somebody, if I would have been the manager, somebody would come to me and do what I did to him. I would have done exactly what he did. This man stole in me potential. He saw potential in me. Mm. And I'm, I'm grateful that he did not fire me because uh, I really deserve to be fired for, for losing my patience and being disrespectful to the man. So, um, and that's my story. Love it. Of my first check. Love it. <laughs> Evans, how about you? Man. Great. So, <laughs> ooh. So mine is actually, man, um, a, a, a friend of mine um, was on the, on the employee benefit side. So he introduced me to the employee benefit side where he used to go into company selling legal insurance, basically providing legal services to different uh, organizations. Um, and he introduced me to that. So I started doing that. From there, I saw, I saw seeing other agents, other broker coming in uh, when I go to these uh, companies and something in my mind said, just ask them how, how do they do that? Because they have an agency. Um, how do they do that? So strike a conversation with one of them. They told me they have to get licensed and this is how they went about doing it. So uh, I got my shot with Allstate. So when I went, put an application with Allstate. So I got an opportunity working for Allstate uh, as a captive, captive agent. Did a couple years there. Then what I found out uh, by working there is that I was limited. I was limited as a captive agent. I couldn't serve, fully serve my, my community the way I wanted to, to serve my community. Uh, then my wife, who was on the independent side already, um, who's been there years? She she told me, and hey, look, go into the independent side. Give uh, give the give. She give me one of the broker uh, contacts. She said, give him a call. Go work for that person. Uh, when I worked, when I went to work for that independent uh, 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 broker, uh, and I had a like little, similar story with uh, what Felix had. Um, I was one of the top agent for that broker on the independent side, and. It was one thing that actually that Booker did. Uh, I remember, I remember sitting down, and one and one month I brought this gentleman over a hundred, a hundred thousand dollars in premium. Guess what my paycheck was? My commission was what a hundred dollars. Son of a bitch. So. I'm not good at math. I'm not good at math, right? And <laughs> I had a conversation with the with the with the owner. Went to his office, had a conversation with him because it was supposed to be ten percent, ten percent of of a hundred of mm. hundred k in premium. It's not it's not a hundred dollars. So had a conversation mm -hmm. with him, man, and I hand him the check. I hand him the hundred dollars uh, 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 commission check. I was like, you could have it. You could keep it. From there, man, that was like the light bulb for me. Uh, 
and plus my son was born, it gave me another motivation uh, to mm-hmm. become to become my own boss, not to become independent, man. And that was like my wake up call. I had to do something different because if I keep working for this from this person, I'm building this 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 person dream. I'm not building my own dream for my for my family. So that was my wake up call, mm-hmm. man. And from there, we went in. Uh, my wife and I, we put uh, our heads together, man. Put our plan together uh, to open our own agency, and we we took the risk. Now it was a risk that we had to take, and we took it, man. That was the best decision ever. Mm-hmm. So. I see, I see, I see Felix shaking his head, kind of nodding along. Yeah, what, I do what, too. what are you thinking, Dad? Like, what I want to hear, what are your, as you're hearing Eben's story, what are you thinking? No, it, it's, uh, it's again, I, I see the, um, then when you come into a new country, you know, your desire to succeed, it, it's, it, it's, it's engraving in, in, in every one of us. You know, I see many, many foreign, especially the Vietnamese community. They are really, they come here and they work hard. I, I see blacks from, uh, from other countries, from Haiti, from uh, J- Jamaica. They make it, they're doing well because, uh, they, because they have the opportunity uh, to, to, to work and, and, and to be able to make money. And it, so it, it's... I, th- I think when you, when you I, look I th- at it, <clears throat> Jason, this kind of goes back to the to that question you asked earlier about about the the community in, in the culture. So if you go to you've been to Cuba right now. You 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 know, you go every now and then, Jason. Mm-hmm. And if you ever ask a Cuban in Cuba, what do they do for a living? Right? Like if you ever ask that question, typically mm-hmm. what they're going to say is that what would they say? You ask a Cuban, "Hey, what do you, what do you do? How do you how do you make ends meet?" What do they say? Felix you asking me? Yeah, 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 yeah. If you ask Cuban, if you go to Cuba today, say, "Hey, what, what do you do for a living?" What are they going to tell you? I, I forgot. I forgot what they say, but it's um, something like uh, we, we resolve things. Re, yo resuelvo. Yo resuelvo. We resolve yo resuelvo, things. Yo resuelvo. Meaning, meaning, I, I'm going to make it. I'm. I, yeah. I find a way to well, do I'll, it. I'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. We, we, they, they, there's yeah. this hustle, right? Yep. And I think that's common in a lot of immigrants. Is you know mm-hmm. what? No one's going to give me anything. Mm-hmm. Yep. I have to earn everything that I get. Mm-hmm. I don't have the the resources to plug into that someone else might. I don't have I don't have family with money that are are giving me opportunities or giving me a start in business. Mm-hmm. So there's this hustle that man I got to grind it out if I'm going to make ends meet. And then for for the guys like Evans and, and Felix, you start to see like wait a minute, I'm putting in twice as much hustle than that guy, and that son of a gun is making more money than me. I'm better than him. I can do that. And it's just that hustle, man. They just get things done. And to add to that, before there were immigrants, which we were always immigrants, as he said, unless you're American Indian, um, women have been here forever, and it's the same thing with them. They're not paid what they're supposed to be. They, 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 it's just as unequal. I don't want to say just as unequal, but it is very unequal. You know, here's the word we're all missing. I'm waiting, right? I'm waiting for Felix. I'm waiting for Evans. I'm, and it's like, this is a word we don't use anymore. And But where I think about this word is not so much what immigrants and who they are with their work ethic, but who we've become as Americans today, and we lack this. And the word is called grateful. 
when we talk mm. about the things. Mm. When I look it up right now, I love doing this stuff. It's expressing gratitude, grateful thanks, affording a pleasure or contentment, pleasing by reason of comfort supplied and discomfort. I like this alleviated. That's actually the definition of, of, what, of what they say grateful is. And I think that that's today where I see the American worker a lot of time who is abusing or wanting more and saying, are you grateful for what you have? Because when I went to Cuba, I realized that they have nothing and they're grateful. Mm-hmm. They have nothing. You know why? Because as long as they have each other. As long as, 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 as they've got Jesus, right? That, that they feel grateful just to wake up. And it's like there's people who are going and they're making $40 an hour with full benefits and we're going to strike because we want 42 I'm not here to get into that argument or not, but I think we need to be grateful and be understanding of where we truly, truly live. Um, it's probably it's pretty amazing. So I think that that is something that was said there. I'm, we need to wrap this up, but I, I want you to know I've got the name. I, as I'm over here typing, guys, I'm, I'm, I'm typing notes to the team. Um, and, but you guys have some great sayings, but what we're going to name this is coming to America. I felt the wind I was breathing was not mine. That's something Felix said. Mm-hmm. And I, and, and when he said it, I really saw Eben shaking his head. Yes, because mm-hmm. I think that summed it up right, right. As an immigrant coming here, I felt the wind I was breathing was not mine. I really, really mm-hmm. like that a lot. I hey, Jason, I got a, I got a shop question for them real quick. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not shutting down right talking, now. I just want to kind of bring it to that spot. Yeah, yeah. Because I struggle as an agency owner. One of my biggest struggles is hiring. And the reason is because I always remember my dad telling me, son, don't ever let anyone tell you what you're worth. And my, my struggle always is, man, I'm hiring somebody and I'm telling them what they're worth. And I always heard his voice mm. in my mind, like, man, like, like I, I, there was always this tension there. So you, both of you coming to this country, hustling, kind of having that same, that same mentality of, man, I can make money in this business. No one can tell me what I'm worth. How have you dealt with that, maybe that, that tension of, man, I don't want to do to them what somebody mm-hmm. did to me. Ebens, you go first, man. First, um, I want to be honest with anybody, anybody that that we hire, man. Like, um, like you said, because I don't want to tell the person you worth that. Uh, especially when it come producer, it, when it comes to producers, man. I'm looking at this. If you have that mindset. That that driven mindset, that entrepreneurial mindset, that's the kind of people that that we look for. Um, and with that, like the sky is the limit now. So I'm not going to tell the person as uh, as a producer, I'm going to tell you, look, you could make as much as you want. Right. It's going to be uh, it's going to be up mm-hmm. to you, mm-hmm. the work that you put in. But what I find out is that a, a, a lot of people don't want to put that work in. Yeah. Now they want they want they want us to hand them the uh, the the paycheck, the commission, like everything. But they're not willing to put the that work in. If you're willing to put that work in, the sky's the limit. Especially in this in this industry, you could make as much as you want, but it depends it depends on 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 you. It really depends on you. It really does. So, it's, so it seems it seems like it seems like giving them that opportunity like hey you're 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 coming in as a CSR and this is what that mm-hmm. position pays but there's opportunity if you want to be a producer to make more money is that kind of how yes. you approach it 
Yes. And if they choose not to, that's cool. Then they're going to make what they're going to make what 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 a fair wage would be in, in that as, role. As Eben said, they're setting their own value. Now we're not setting mm-hmm. the value, right? That's value. True. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. I like that. Eben's very 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 forward thinking. Eben, how long have you been an agency owner? Uh, going four years now. Okay. Okay. So not four brand years. new. You know. You ain't some new kid on the block. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Felix, anything you have thoughts on that? Well, I've been an agency owner for, what, 40 years? Uh, there was one time that um, my agency was producing. Uh, as a matter of fact, when, after Eric graduated, you know, he came in uh, with us. And he knows that we were always uh, very fair with um, with our employees. Um, we had a lady uh, who was on commission and uh, and a base salary, and she was making book of money uh, the, up until Katrina. There's a reason. You get, there's backstory to that. So he he was captive. Let me let me give the backstory real quick. He was captive. Katrina hit New Orleans. Okay, before let me back up before that. Um, any business that he couldn't place with his company, he was able to place with the with the citizens, Louisiana citizens here in 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 uh, Louisiana, and he didn't want anything to do with it, right? So he told his producer, "You write it, you keep fifty percent of it." Okay, so that was their agreement. So she could write as much; she kept fifty percent of that business. Katrina hits the company he represented, started canceling everybody. Well, not everybody, but a lot of policies. I can imagine. So the only person that was writing was Louisiana citizens. Didn't matter who was writing it in the agency. He had that agreement with with this with this producer. And I'm doing the books one day, and I'm looking at this. And we're like in May. And I go to him. I said, do you realize? And I say producer. She wasn't a traditional producer. She's not out there hitting the streets. I mean, she was more of like a, a producing CSR service type person. You know, with the captives, it's, it's so easy to service. Um, so she would basically just write business. That was, we had a lot of referral business coming through. I went to him like in May, I said, she's going to make, this is in 2006, probably 2006, 2007. So she's going to make over a hundred thousand dollars this year. Wow. Wow. And she wasn't a traditional producer. And I said, we, we got a problem. Your contract says this. So like, what are we going to do? So we, we honored that contract that year. And when we went to her and said, here's the problem, this company's canceling everybody. We're, we're writing it over here and you're keeping 50% of it and we can't afford as an agency to do this, but we're going to honor it this year. And then we, we kind of readjusted her contract after that. But man, I'm like, we can't that we can't do this. I can't. Well, uh, it's just, yeah, he's gracious, but also understanding. I, I am too gracious with my employees. Uh, according to Travis, they all make too much. Uh, to me, I want to keep paying them more, but there is a limit to that. Um, but I do like what you said, Evans. I like how you how you how you structured that around. Is is I I'm the agency can only pay you this to make money, but inside that you can make as much as you want, right? I mean, there's some agents that get paid the same and make two hundred fifty thousand, and another agent in the agent same agency makes eighty. So yeah, mm-hmm. anything. Um, uh, you know, here's I want to get maybe everything's different. Maybe it's not. Tell me about maybe one of your favorite books. Leaders are readers, and readers are leaders, and you both are leaders, so you must be readers. So tell me about some of the books that you're reading as we wrap up here. Ebens, you tell me first. Uh, I'm reading the power, the power of broke by Damon John. The power of broke, B R O K E. Yeah, B R O K E. Wow. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I like that. Uh, Eric's yeah. writing that baby down. Look at him. Has yeah, by 
the the fubu f- uh, 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 founder Damon John. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Fubu, Shark yeah. Tank. Shark Tank. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good, good, good call there. I haven't heard that one. A lot of times I hear the repeats. Uh, Felix, you reading anything right now? I am not much of a reader, <clears throat> but the reader that I, the book that I keep in my on my desk all the time is one that I wrote, which is called Ingredients for Success. You wrote that, and Felix? It's of, yes, it's on top of my desk. Eric doesn't tell everybody because he wants everybody to think he's the coolest of the Garcias. <laughs> I mean, what the hell? Oh, man, I've never claimed. I have never claimed that, man. Yeah, well, Dude, what the hell? I would say, I thought, so. He's, he's writing masterpieces over here, and you're not telling anybody. Look at that! Oh, look, look at that! that. Once again, Jason, no lie. When, YouTube. When I first came into this business, my office was right across from his, and I would sit there and I would listen to him talk to people. And like literally, I'd be like, "Holy crap! Like, how did he get away saying that? Like, I could. I'm like 22 years old. I'm like, oh my god, I could never say that. Like, he said, the, and then and then people were like, like he would say it with such confidence, and they would buy more crap from him. I'm like, <laughs> my god, dude, dude. My mentor, Mike Beard, was the same way. There was no. I, I had the office right next to them. There was no uh, uh, insulation in the wall, and I would listen to him. Same thing, Eric. I would sit there and go. Man, I can't wait till I can talk to people like that. And it wasn't rude. As you said, it was confidence and it's here's what you need. And just the other day, Jake said to me, he's 23, works in my office. He said, Jason, I can't wait until I can talk to customers (laughs) like you talk to them. And I was like, wow. That was one of those moments where I had to walk outside like, oh, shit. That's what I was told 20 years ago, you know? So, so you know what his job is. You know what his job is today. So he he, you know, he left the agency that he was with, like the captive he was with. Now he's working for me. You know what his job is. What? We literally give him lists of clients to call because he loves this crap. And it's usually problems. It's claims that aren't resolved. People oh who haven't God. paid. Cop policies that have gone up by thirty percent. And he freaking thrives in it. He comes in when he wants, makes the calls when he wants, and like sends biz- new business. So if someone complains about their premium. Next thing we know, he's like s- sending them to, to to our producer and she's writing more insurance for him. Oh and he my loves that gosh. Felix, if we'd have known this, we'd have reti- had you retire 10 years ago. <laughs> uh, I'm a client's, client's advocate. <laughs> you are. You are. That's enough said. I hate to say it, but that's when the clients drive me crazy. I got to get them out of That's too much energy for me. I got to get them in somebody's hands who can take care of them. Yeah, that's too yeah. much energy for me. All right, guys. Hey, wrapping it up. Anybody have anything last words to say? Epens, got anything? All I'm gonna say is that if you have a dream, take the risk. Now, mm-hmm. be a be a be a risk taker for your dreams, for your family. Now, mm-hmm. be, take that risk. Anybody that's listening, um, anything that you want to do in life, you gotta be able to take risks, and um, and that risk that you're gonna take is gonna be worth it at the end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Eric? Um, oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Felix. I was, I was thinking Garcia. Felix? I, I'm just going to uh, I have something to read out of the book over here, but I'm just going to say that the road to success is always on the construction. I love quotes. I don't know who made that quote, but I love it. Mm. Now, I, I, I'm i going to read something out of the book that I, that I wrote. And uh, and if you, ask, if you ask me what does success mean... I'll tell you what I don't think success is. You know, some people think that success is driving an expensive automobile, buying a big house, being successful in the business, um, driving an expensive car, living in a mansion. 
And success is more than that. Success, to me, is the way you walk the path of life each day. It is the things you do and the things you say. Success is the way we live our life each day. It's how we communicate with others. It is the legacy we leave behind. Success is being big of heart and open-minded. Success is being faithful to your friends and kind and generous to strangers. Success requires loving and caring for your family and all the things we learn from their experiences. Ultimately, success requires showing you good conduct and reputation all day and every day with everything you do. Even when somebody is not looking, that is what spells success. Love that, dude. I absolutely love that. When did you write your book, Felix? Um, I think it was right after Katrina when we thought we had uh, we thought we had lost uh, everything, and we hired um, uh, Eric and I. We hired a um, a coach. It's two thousand seven. Um, yeah, two thousand seven. Remember that we hired mm-hmm. a coach, and one time I was talking to him, and I was telling things aloud, things things that I what I felt, and all of, all of the notes. It's from uh, meetings that I used to go, conference that I used to go, and every time something hit me, I would just write it down. And I had a bunch of uh, uh, written stuff written in a file. And he said, you know, you should put that in a book. And I said, me write a book? I don't know how to write a book. But then one day I said, well, let me go ahead and try it. And... Um, Nothing stops Felix Garcia. Look at him. Once again, I say it over and over on all these podcasts. You got to watch YouTube. You got to see the book. You got to meet Felix face to face and Ebens. Eric, wrapping it up. Anything, buddy? Man, I can't follow that up. I know. I know. That's. that's, (laughs) I I will say this. I will say this. I am. uh, When you want to talk about privilege, I sit back and say, man, like, I won. And I, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart. I won the lottery when it comes to parents, not just dad, but parents. That mm-hmm. I am tremendously blessed in that um, I can honestly say that the past 20 years of being, 20, 21 years of being in business, day one I stepped foot in this office, he looked at me as an equal. And he gave me an equal voice to speak into business decisions. And I would say that, that not only has he been a fantastic father, but like there, there is truly this peership between the two of us, where where we're where we are peers, and um, man, I I I'm just incredibly blessed to be able to have someone to look up to. Like he didn't have a father growing up. Evans, you shared your you know your parents split up. Um, Jason, I think you might have a similar story. Mm-hmm, yeah, um, my parents split up. Yeah, and like I'm sitting here like man, like I what 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 a blessing to be able to have an earthly father who who has character and we don't always agree. Like we fight, we argue. Oh, yeah, I mean, we, we'll, we'll, we'll go toe to toe. But like man, just when you talk about character and integrity and authenticity, um, mm-hmm. that's makes that's, you that's grateful. Yeah, incredibly grateful. That's right. That's right. So loyal listeners, here's the deal. This has been overwhelming because as I've went through, I've listened to what everybody said like you have. Maybe you don't listen the way that I do, but I check off boxes. Um, when I when I listen to this, not only in there how grateful they are, but I start to realize something that I, I, I really think is, is amazing. We have you, you hear me talk about it a lot, loyal listeners, and really put together this podcast when we talk about the five truths of insurance. 
when you do it the right way, you're going to experience these. We talk about flexible schedule as the number one thing. Talking about being able, as, as Felix said, to plant today, but you're going to harvest tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Understanding that it is a long-term game, long-run game, but to be honest with you, after about eight to ten years, you can kind of put it in halfway gear and work 25 to 30 hours. That's one of the truths of insurance. The financial freedom and flexible, uh, the financial freedom you can get, which is truth number two. And you really think about how successful we actually all are. Um, E-Benz, I guarantee you, would tell you that just like I would tell you, I've never thought that I would make this type of money. Mm. Never. I would never thought that I would have this, you know? Number three happens to be community builder. That's Mm. another thing that you get another truth of insurance. And these people live it and breathe it. I specifically ask questions about it. Number four is empire builder. You heard E-Benz talking about the fact that he didn't want to build his empire or build somebody else's empire. He wanted to build his. And when you get to know and you listen to the podcast that Ebens and I did, you'll find out that he actually doesn't build the empire. He entrusts other people in his organization to help build the empire by them building their own. That's just how he makes that connection there. Mm-hmm. And the fifth one's mentorship. And mm-hmm. I think it's important because every one of them talked about it. Eric just talked about it with Felix, being his dad, but also from day one being treated as an equal. That's mentorship. I'll find out a lot of times that some of the best mentors, I'll say to them, I'll say, you're a good mentor. And a lot of them will say, I didn't know. I was just doing what I thought I could do. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I've read lately, I've been reading a book called uh, Radical Candor. And one of the things that the lady said, I think it's by Kim Scott or something like that, Kim something. One of the things she said is, is that uh, you were hearing it a lot, is that empathy is the future of this world. It is the number one emotion besides love, which has always been here. And Peter even says that's the best. Empathy says that we are, or that we are, Keep in mind what this is. I want to I want to say this real quick as we wrap this up. Sympathy is the fact that I understand where you're coming from. I feel your pain. Someone has passed. I have sympathy for you. I feel what that could be like because I've experienced it. Empathy is me listening to someone who's having an issue or maybe experiencing something, someone who died, and packaging that up and giving it back to them to let them know that you were listening to them. Mm. Evans, Eric, we were just taught this by Troy Smith, right? I never yeah. had had empathy. She takes it a step further and she says, what is compassion? And she explains that compassion is nothing more than empathy with action. And I think that that's where mentorship comes in. Listening to the struggles of where someone has been without having a father or having parents that were splitting up or coming from another country and being able to package that up and having no relative relation to what they're even thinking about, but to package it up and give it back to them, whether that's a producer or whether that's an immigrant or who that is, that is compassion. That is empathy in action. And I believe that mentorship, so through a flexible schedule, financial freedom, a community builder, empire builder, and also mentorship, these are the examples of the five truths of insurance and why we make this the greatest industry God ever created. I do what I do because I do it for you. Tell me your thoughts and tell me your ideas, and I'm going to tell the world what you have to say. This has been Cass. He's out. Hey, agents, listen to this. Listen to this. What are we terrible at? Think of it. Think of it. 
really. We're, we're terrible at training, right? We're not very good at hiring. We're not very good, terrible at firing, actually. Uh, terrible at creating process and some workflows. Terrible at technology and implementing that technology and even knowing what type of technology we want. And the list goes on and on. Now, listen, I'm an agency owner. And I, you know how it is to, to fix a problem. The first thing you've got to do is you got to admit you have a problem. Here's what you do. Go to virtualintel.com. Check out what we do because we do all those bad things that you can't do. Really? And you may do one or two of them well. Good for you if you can do them all. Just want you to know you're in the minority. But if you can't do any of them good or you don't even want to do them anymore because it just takes too much mental power, then good for you for realizing that and give us a call. I'm telling you, virtual intelligence, that's what we do. And where we specialize in high quality VEs, not virtual assistants. Look it up. Go to ChatGPT. Put in what's the difference between a virtual assistant and a virtual employee. Enough said. I don't have enough time to go on and on about all the differences on this 60 second commercial. But you've got time to search it and look at it. That's what we do. We deliver high quality VEs. We mix the technology with it. We train them on the technology, give them and the technology to you and you're off to the races. I'm not joking with you. You can call my agency at any time, ask for Lordland. And we do ask her, say, how fast are you able to do quotes? I've actually got a couple videos of it. That's right. We can do five to 10 carriers in one quote in three to seven minutes. So you give me an auto quote, I can do five to 10 carriers in three to seven minutes. How are we doing it? We're doing it through the technology of virtual intelligence. Give us a call, check us out. You can ask for me personally, I'll do the demo for you. Who are they? Cast certified.